of all the, the meals, and there are a number of meals uh, recorded in the Gospels, uh, this one that we're looking at this morning is perhaps the most, the most well-known of those meals. It is the feeding of the, the 5,000. Now, you should have a handout there that, that this morning that we're going to be referring to. So if you'd like to, to, keep, that, um, to keep that just in front of you there. And uh, it's, the feeding of the 5,000 is an, an event that, that I have um, I've always found fascinating. And of course, it's, it's, more than, it's more than fascinating because it's, it's miraculous. As a young boy, I always uh, found this miracle of, of Jesus to be quite magical, almost. You know, how did he do that? And I would have loved to, to have been there and to witness this wonderful, uh, wonderful miracle because of the, the, the magic of it. And as, most, as most young boys, I couldn't help but be enthralled um, by magic. Paul Daniels, remember him? And uh, through the, the technique of, of illusion, he was able to, uh, to trick our minds into thinking that something had just taken place, which was, which was simply outside of the realms of science and nature and, and ex explanation. But you and I know that what Jesus did um, that late afternoon in the town of Bethsaida, as the crowds, as they gathered around him, and their, their bellies were beginning to rumble, and they were looking, they were looking a good feed, we know that what Jesus did had nothing to do with magic or, or, or with illusion, but everything to do with the, the miraculous and with the divine. And to the human mind, what took place that day just doesn't make any sense. Because whenever we try and explain what happened, we can only come to the conclusion that for us, well, it's actually impossible. The text tells us, John tells us, uh, that there were 5,000 men present um, at this meal. And whenever, when we, when we then do the, the maths and if we apply the, the 2.4 um, children rule, it is reasonable to assume that there were near to 20,000 people who were actually fed that day. 20,000 people from five loaves and, and two fish. That's impossible. But to God, as you and I know, all things are possible. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is an event which has been recorded uh, by all four gospel writers. But John, and we're looking at John, John, which is often the case, John tends to give just that, that little bit more information which the other writers choose to omit. And this is what I love about the gospel accounts, the differences in them. Okay, the differences in them is what proves them to be authentic. If each, of the, if each of the accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if they each read exactly the same, it is then that we should be suspect. Suspect because we would have to wonder why was so much um, effort put into making them read exactly the same. But this is not how life works. You know, if we, if we go to an, an event or whatever it may be, we see different things. We remember different things. We see, uh, we see things differently. We, uh, we, we, we hear different voices. We come at events from different angles and, and, and different perspectives. So if you look at your sheet, I have it on the screen. You'll not be able to see that, okay? But it gives an idea. If you look at the inside of the, um, uh, the, 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 the handout, um, you'll have the four gospel accounts side by side to see how they compare and how they contrast with one another. 
So we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and everything that you see there that is in red is more or less word for word in each account. Okay, so there was an oral tradition and, and people would have uh, told these stories. So uh, there's some information that is going to be the same uh, in each of those accounts. Everything that is written in purple is practically the same thing but said in a slightly different way. And you'll notice also that there's some, there's some green and there's some brown which are things specific to only two of the Gospels. And everything that you see that's, that is in blue is specific only to that gospel account. So from this, you can see just you can see just how different um, the the, uh, the material is in John's account of this event. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all very similar, but John, all oh, that blue—that's all completely different to the other three accounts. And we know that both John and Matthew were disciples of Jesus, so they were most likely present at the time of this miracle taking place. And as you read John's gospel, uh, as you read John's, John's gospel account, you see time and time again that it differs from the, from the others quite considerably. You remember how, how he starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's, it's not normal language. It's very different and very different to what we read in the, uh, the other gospel accounts, which are referred to as the synoptic gospels. Because they're, they're, they're similar. Because at its most basic level, John's gospel is asking the question, who is Jesus? If you were to break it all down and summarize it, that's basically the question that he is asking. Is who is Jesus? This is John's main question and the, and the quest of, of, of discovery that he bids us enter into as we read his gospel. His gospel helps us to, to understand how to look for, for Jesus in the Old Testament and particularly in, in Moses and in Exodus and the first five books of the Bible and in the prophets and in, in fact in all of scripture. He wants us to see how, how Jesus is the, is, the, is the yes and the, the amen to, to every promise God has made throughout the history of redemption. And essentially in the gospel accounts of Jesus we do see consistency we see that consistently Jesus is revealed as the Son of God. And that's, that is what is of most or greatest importance. And that is what leads to his death. And as we look at this meal recorded for us by John, there are two things happening at the one time. Firstly, we see ways in which John is, is, is always uh, hinting and very clearly hinting at the, the deity of Christ, that he is God and the historical evidence and witness of the Old Testament, which has been fulfilled in him. He's saying, here's the Old Testament, here's Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the Old Testament, because he is God. And secondly, we learn about Jesus himself. We learn about the disciples, we learn about the people of the time, and we also learn things about ourselves. And recorded in John's Gospel are miraculous events, which are referred to or, 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 or known as signs. And the word sign is quite simply another way of thinking of the, of the miracles of Jesus that attest to his identity, that he is God. Now I'm going to test you here, okay? Back to school and all that, I'm going to test you. There are seven signs, and I don't need you to shout out answers, but just there are seven signs, okay? Uh, seven events, seven miracles, which are recorded in John's gospel. Can we name them? 
Or is there any that come to mind? Well, here's the first one. The very first sign, which is Christ's very first miracle, which he performs at a wedding in Cana, where he turns the water into wine. So that's the first of seven signs. And that's in John uh, chapter 2. Then moving on to John 4, Jesus heals an official son. And you can read of that in John 4, verses 46 to 54. That's the second of, of, of seven. Then the third one is the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. The man would have been waiting for the, the waters to stir and, and, uh, and nobody, there was nobody there to help him down into the waters and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath and this caused a whole furore with the, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders. You can't heal on the Sabbath. That's the third. The fourth then is the one we're looking at this morning is Jesus feeds the 5,000. Fifthly, the fifth sign recorded in John's Gospel is that Jesus walks on water. Sixth is that Jesus heals a man born blind. That's in John chapter 9. And then the final sign, now if you can think, is there any, any other miracles in John's gospel that, that we know of? And the last one is he raises Lazarus from, uh, from the dead. And those are the seven signs. And John is quite clearly indicating that through Christ's miraculous signs, through the seven signs that are recorded, that Jesus embodies he embodies the divine completion of all of God's work of redemption and salvation. Um, Pastor John MacArthur, uh, in one of his, his commentaries on John's gospel, uh, commenting about Jesus, uh, says these words, that throughout his ministry, Jesus could have thrilled the watching crowds with spectacular displays of his divine power, such as lifting up the temple and suspending it in midair, or, or flying through the sky at supersonic speeds, but instead he chose to display divine compassion by doing miracles that delivered people in need. He healed the sick, he raised the dead and cast out demons. Even the Lord's creative miracles were not sensational magic tricks. The miraculous feeding of the 5,000 was a large act of compassion on behalf of people who would have gone hungry. And significantly for, um, for us this morning, as we, as we look at this, the fourth sign recorded by John, we see that it stands perfectly in the middle of the seven signs. There are two signs which involve eating and drinking. This one in John 6 and the sign of turning water into wine in John chapter 2. And once again, we see the great significance of the meals that are recorded in the Gospels. And of all the meals that are recorded, this one is steeped in symbolism and, and references to the Old Testament scriptures and in particular to what we read in Numbers, in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Lift your Bible, your pew Bible, and turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. To Numbers chapter 11 and reading from uh, the, the first verse, and it's quite a, it's quite a lengthy um, pa passage you're reading from verse 1 through to, to 15 of Numbers chapter 11. And there we read, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So we have the Israelites when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabera because fire from the Lord had burned among them. 
The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and, and, and then ground it into a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or, or made it into loaves. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the Jews settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you have put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give, give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a, as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me right now. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let, my, do not let me face my own ruin. And in that reading, there are two clear parallels between what we read in John chapter 6 and what we've just read in, in Numbers chapter 11. Firstly, John 6 and verse 5 reads, Lifting up his eyes then, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And then in Numbers 11 verse 13, Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. And we have the same problem. We have a, a massive proportion of people, but very little food to be distributed. And the references to the Old Testament and the fact that, that Christ came as the fulfillment of all that was written within its pages is substantiated by Christ himself. Just a few verses prior to what we read in chapter 6 of John, in chapter 5 and verse 46, after a long dialogue with the Jews, after they have witnessed Jesus healing on the Sabbath, he says to them, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And John in his gospel is showing that what was written about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament is now being, is now being played out and acted out in reality through the life and ministry of a man from Nazareth called Jesus. Uh, Scotty Smith, who is the founding pastor of, of Christ Community Church in, in Tennessee, again comments in this section in John's gospel. And he says, John 6, I think there are 70 two verses, possibly 71, 72. John 6 is the longest chapter in the New Testament. It provides a rich, redemptive, historical perspective on Moses and the central saving act of God in Israel's history, the Exodus. John wants us to see Jesus as the greater Moses and the gospel as the greatest Exodus of all. Just as Moses led the, the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt into the land of promise, so Jesus came to lead the pan-national family of God, that's us, on the ultimate exodus, a journey out of sin and death into the quintessential promised land, the new heaven and new earth. 
Just as the first exodus involved a crisis at sea and the need for supernatural deliverance, so Jesus responded to his fear-filled disciples, walking to them on the Sea of Galilee, securing their safe delivery on the other side. And for the disciples, uh, and for the crowd that was present and, and had been following Jesus, they were witnessing what no one else, no one else on the planet before or since has witnessed. This one-off miracle of Christ, they witnessed the creator God, the, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham and Isaac. They witnessed the one true God at work. And the timing, and this is again where, where John, it just gives that little bit more information. The timing of the feeding of the 5,000 is not coincidental. It occurred just before Passover, the meal you remember the meal that, that inaugurated Israel's journey through the wilderness. They, they, they shared the Passover, then they moved out into the wilderness. And indeed, Jesus, Jesus didn't come merely to provide elements for the Passover meal, but he came to be the Passover meal himself. John tells us, uh, John the Baptist, that he is the, the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. And it is on him that we feed and are nourished. And it's because John points out that this took place just before the Passover is one of the ways in which his account stands out from the rest. And another way in which his account stands out is in the finer detail. It is only John, and it is only John who takes the time to tell the reader that the five loaves and two fish have come from a young boy. You go back and read the other gospel accounts, that's not there. It's only John, he says, that it comes from a, a young boy. He even goes that a little bit further and tells us that the loaves were made from barley because he tasted them. The loaves were made from barley. John also mentions that in the area in which this was taking place, that, that there was much grass. Now, why, why would he give us detail like that? Because this is, this is the only type of detail that an eyewitness would recall. And it also confirms that the feeding of the 5,000 took place in the springtime before the grass withered under the scorching summer sun. And we know that Passover was generally held in April or March. But what is probably most remarkable of all is the way in which Jesus responds to the needs of the people. We know that the crowd was following him. And the crowd were following him simply because of the miracles that he was performing. Verse 2 reads, And a lar large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And you see, they, they, were, they were like thrill seekers. Uh, for many of, of them, this was, was, simply, was simply great entertainment. Because if you look at this incident recorded in the scriptures where Jesus is feeding a multitude, there are 20,000 people there. This is wonderful. Jesus is great. He's giving us something to eat. And then look at the cross and how many are standing before the cross in Christ. Because the nearer you get to the cross, the lesser the people are. And it's the same for us. The closer we get to the cross, we don't want to come to the cross. We don't want to come to Christ. And in verse 10 of John 6, after the disciples have, have brought forth the bread and the fish, Jesus tells the disciple to have the people sit down. Now, the literal translation is that Jesus asks the disciples to tell the crowd to recline. He says, get them to recline. And what Jesus is doing is he is inviting them to dine with him, to recline in his presence and, and to be served by the Lord himself. And that's what people did. You would have reclined at the table. You would have lay on the ground. And somebody would have served the food. And Jesus 
He meets the needs of a, of a crowd of thrill-seekers and, and entertainment junkies. And here's the thing, if Christ can meet the needs of a, of a rabble such as that, how much more will he meet the needs of a child of God? Of which you can say that you are if you're trusting in him. And not only does he feed the multitude and meet their needs, but there are, there are 12 baskets of leftovers gathered up, which I'm sure the disciples enjoyed for their breakfast and possibly even their, their lunch the following day. We don't know. And what a lesson this, this, this miracle teaches you and I. God has provided. And God will provide all that we will ever need. And not only for today, but for all our days. And what you and I have to do is, is receive that provision. What do we need to do to receive that provision? Well, quite simply, nothing. All Jesus asks is for us to recline and to allow him to serve us. And he has served us in the greatest way by dying for us on the cross. And therefore, all we must do is trust in him. And as we trust in him, in response, we, we must go out into the world and, and serve others in the way that Christ has called us to serve. What a God we have. You know, what a God we have. And we're going to pray to that God now. Let's pray. Lord, we simply love the way in, in which you, the way in which you came into our world as the King of kings and, and as the Lord of lords, but that you came not to be served, but to serve. And Father, that just astounds us. Lord, your ways are just simply astounding. Father, we also thank you this morning for the ways in which you provide for our needs, physical, spiritual, relational. Lord, in, in all spheres of life, we thank you for your goodness towards us. And Lord, we want to be a people who have a, a hunger for more of you, a hunger to know your word and to, to, to know your will for our lives. And again, Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the, the awesome truth of your word. Lord, plant it and, and sow, it, sow it deep into our hearts that we may live lives in the, the abundant freedom of its glorious truth. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We uh, conclude our service by, by standing to sing. And it's, uh, it's a, very simple, a very simple hymn. Um, it takes me back to, uh, to, to Sunday school and, and singing, God who made the earth, the air, the sky, the sea, who gave the light its birth, he cares for me. That's how wonderful.